0: We've been leveraging the metaphor of a road trip. Maybe you've been on one. Maybe you're going on one this summer even. And uh, we've been thinking about that metaphor as it applies to life. How is life like a road trip? Life is a highway, you know. Um, so we've been thinking through that metaphor. And we continue with that today. And as we continue, we want to think about rest. Uh, we pull into a rest area on the turnpike or... Get off at a random exit and go to McDonald's just to use the bathroom. You know who you are. Um, stops along the way are an important part of road trips, right? It's, it's how we recharge for the road ahead, and there's nothing worse than traveling tired. I'm sure we've all done that. Nothing worse than traveling tired. And this, this series over the course of the last few weeks has, has made me think a lot about road trips in my life. Um, I know people who who tell me about their family road trips growing up and they were like these great stories of summers off touring the American West. My family unfortunately has horror stories of washed out camping trips to Potter County, okay? Um, Those were road trips in my family. I know nothing about you and your family's adventures out West, I'm glad you got to do that. I went to Potter County. Um, Not that I'm bitter, Um, but I thought a lot about road trips, and along the way, thinking about those times when my family traveled tired, and man, a brief or not so brief stop along the way could be a lifesaver, right? Um, Literally a lifesaver. As I thought about road trips, one really comes to mind in my life, and maybe through the course of this series, you can relate. You you think about road trips where there was adventure. Um, So between my junior and senior year of high school, I had a really good friend, Pat, who has gone home to be with the Lord, but really good friend of mine, and we went to high school together, and he moved from San Jose, California, to Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Why? I don't know, um, but he did. And so he moved into my town, and we got to be friends and went to high school together, and he was a year ahead of me. And so between my junior and senior year of high school, his parents decided they, too, would move out to Cal, uh, from California to Pennsylvania. So over that summer, they they set up an arrangement for, and why they would do this, I don't know, but they set up an arrangement and said, Matt, we're going to fly you out to California at the end of the summer, and you and Pat are going to drive our 1970-something Cordoba from California to Michigan, where my brother was getting married. And so all those plans came together, and they said, and my parents were like, really, you want him to do this? And they're like, yep. So I flew out to San Jose, and me and my buddy Pat, we left with a couple of days to travel from San Jose, Michigan to Grand or San Jose, California to Grand Rapids, Michigan, what could go wrong? A lot, as a matter of fact. Um, we we traveled a little too slowly, kind of seeing the sights along the way, and then realized, my gosh, we got to be at a wedding in Michigan. So we're in the middle of the state, middle of the country, and we start driving faster and spending more time on the road and less time sightseeing. And uh, we were in. We, Pat drove all night one night, all night, and uh, we get up in the morning. He's like, dude, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. you got to drive. And we're in Nebraska, which if you've ever driven in Nebraska, it's the Horizon. You get there, and then it's the Horizon again. And uh, so so he crawls in the back seat, falls asleep. I put on the sunglasses, uh, crank the air conditioning, and start driving. The next thing I remember was the sound of a semi-horn as I fell asleep at the wheel. Now in Nebraska, you can fall asleep at the wheel and drive for miles in a cornfield and then come back up onto the interstate. Um, it didn't go that long for me, all right? It was only a, a matter of seconds till I felt the berm, realized, oh my gosh, but not soon enough until we went kind of down the bank and drove. I drove on the on the bur- uh, kind of on the side where it went down a little bit. Of course, Pat wakes up in the backseat thinking, This is heaven. Um, He's scrambling because he's exhausted, doesn't know what happened. I get the car to a stop. By the grace of God, he was not finished with me yet, and uh, we pulled the car to a stop. The undercarriage of the car was completely covered with grass. He said, get out. I didn't get to drive the rest of the way. Um, So, and maybe you have an adventure that's exciting as that or not so exciting as that, but... uh, a brief or not so brief stop along the way on a road trip can be a lifesaver. Uh, today, we want to consider this idea of rest, okay? This idea of rest, because maybe, friend, in your road trip to life today, God is saying this, you need to rest. Maybe, maybe you come to Pathway just tired, and God is saying, you need rest. Um. But not rest as an end in itself, rather rest as preparation for the way forward. Because for some of us, what God wants to say is this. You need margin in your life, space. Think about the sides of a paper. You need margin. You need to find that. But maybe for others, God is saying, hey, the rest is over. Maybe it's time to go. Here are your marching orders. Margin and marching orders. Last week, we considered guardrails, how there are wrong-way warnings and right-way welcomes. And we find those in the Bible and throughout the life of Jesus. This week, we want to consider margin and marching orders, margin and marching orders. And you can go to the Uversion app for some notes in your worship program you received. You can take some notes there. If you don't have a Bible, it's provided for you in the seats in your venue. You can find those Bibles. So grab that. Last week, we looked at a king named Josiah, a rare good king in the Old Testament in a long line of bad ones. All right, think about Elijah like this. That's the guy we're going to look at today, a guy named Elijah. Um, And maybe you're like, I know Elijah. Maybe you're like, Elijah sounds like a good name for someone in the Bible. It is. It is. He was a good guy, and think of, if if Josiah was a good king in a long line of bad kings, think about Elijah as a guy who called out the bad kings, all right? That was his job. That was one of the big jobs of a prophet, was the the nation of Israel, who much of the Old Testament is about, is going the wrong way, and prophets would arise, and they would call the people out of their badness, out of their God-forsakenness, and Elijah was one of these guys who his job was to call Israel out of. Out of their brokenness, and um, in First Kings 18, we read this story. And you can you can turn if you want. If you want to start, you can turn to First Kings 19. That's where we're going to be today. First Kings 19. Last week we looked at Second Chronicles. Today we're in First Kings, so it's it's one two kings, one two chronicles. All right. So this week, First Chronicles or First Kings 19, if you want to turn there. But in First Kings 18, our guy Elijah, in the strength of the Lord, he dares. King Ahab, bad king, he dares King Ahab, and the prophets of Baal, all right, Baal, who is a false deity. Elijah says to them, Let's see which God is worth following because Ahab has taken the nation into idolatry and they're worshiping this false God, Baal. And man, Elijah's had enough of it. He's like, I've had enough of this. So let's decide right now. We're going to have a big get together, a battle royale, and it's going to be, it's on between God and Baal. And if Baal is the guy, then, if Baal is the God, then let's go after Baal. But if the Lord God Almighty is the God, we're going to serve him. Let's decide, people. And so they meet. And they had this big battle royale, which really isn't any battle royale at all because, spoiler alert, the Lord God wins. Decisively. Prophets of Baal try to call down Baal to light up the altar. It doesn't work. Elijah says, this isn't enough. He says, dump water all over that altar. And he simply prays to God, and God vaporizes. That's how it sounded. Vaporizes. Vaporizes. That altar, water, everything. Crazy story. You can read it, read it to your kids, whatever. 1 Kings 18. Amazing story. The Lord God wins. And all the people follow Elijah and believe God. No. Actually, as one writer puts it, the results of this great victory is not what Elijah expects. And man, isn't that the way it is? Pathway friend, you hear today and you're like, what I can relate to that. Maybe, maybe there's been some victory like, man, last week or yesterday or last year or five years ago. Man, this great thing happened. And, man, since then it's been tough. Just Wednesday, God gave me victory over that. And I thought it was going to be easier moving forward. And you know what? It's not easier. Isn't that how it is? Man, Elijah has this awesome moment where he calls down the judgment of God on the false prophets of Baal. And God answers that prayer. And it's like, yeah! Yeah! Victory! Man, things do not turn out the way he thought after that victory. Because Ahab's wife, Jezebel, Jezebel, lives down to her name. Jezebel says basically to Elijah in the beginning of chapter 19, 1 Kings 19, you're a dead man. That's the fry interpretation. She basically says, hey, hey, you tell... If you find Elijah, you tell him this. You know what he did to those prophets of Baal, the way he massacred them? May the same thing happen to him or I'm going to die. If I don't don't kill him, then may the same thing happen to me. I will hunt him like an animal. Elijah, wherever you are, you're a dead man. So things do not turn out on the other side of this victory the way Elijah thought they were so our guy, Elijah, this great, this great prophet, is on the run, and man, he is tired, tired. He needs rest, needs to recharge, and friends, this is where we're going to find him today because God meets him, God meets him in his need with margin and marching order. Want to consider together from this story several implications for margin and marching orders in our lives i'm not going to read the whole text from basically three through 17 of chapter 19 hopefully you're there first kings 19 if you're not just steal your neighbor's bible for first kings 19 3 through 17 i want to pull some verses out of this context on the back end of of elijah's victory where god is going to meet him in his need and god is going to meet him with margin rest, but God's going to meet him with marching orders, okay? First thing is this, are you, or you may be, running for your life? That's the first place where God meets you in your need, maybe, with margin and marching orders is running for your life. Look at, let's pick it up at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. <laughs> maybe you're like, that could be my life verse right now. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. You ever been there? I don't know if physically I've ever run for my life. But there has been times in my life where I've felt that way emotionally or spiritually or psychologically. And maybe today, Pathway Friend, in the worship center in one of our venues today listening online, maybe you say, I'm afraid and I'm running for my life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Don't try that. Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Run, here's the deal. Maybe your need is this. Maybe the need God meets you in is this. You are running for your life. Elijah was. Running for his life. A couple things. There's chaos right? Um, as I read that passage and meditated on it this week, here's some things I came up with that were going on with Elijah in this, in this part of the story. Fear, listen, fear, adrenaline, loneliness, depression, inferiority, exhaustion. Those are, those are five things I pulled out of this text just in that first reading. Do any of those things mark your life today? What's the chaos in your life? Maybe, maybe depression has such a grip on you. And you walked into Pathway Church and man, if we could see above your head there's a dark cloud. It's a serious thing. Elijah's pumping with adrenaline. He's come off an, an amazing victory that turned into a horrible failure. He's being hunted like an animal. He says, God, I'm the only one left. I'm done with this. Take my life. Alec Motier writes, theologian late great Alec Motier writes, "Becoming a Christian believer does indeed make all things new, yet we are still in the same baffling set of events as before we knew Jesus." And life's experiences confuse our logic. We still lack explanation. The world around us still does not add up. I feel like that? You ever feel like that? I'll tell you what that really helped me, because there's times in my life where I think, man, I'm a follower of Jesus and everything's supposed to be new, and it's not new. My circumstances defy logic. God, I can't believe you let that happen. Sometimes it's like we meet Jesus and things get worse. Christian friend, let's be careful about turning life in Christ into some band-aid that we just whoop, put over that big wound like, okay, magically, everything's going to get better. Sure didn't hear. There's chaos. There's chaos to work through, and for Elijah... He's working through a lot of stuff here. And man, he's just, he's just tired. Tired in the chaos, running for his life, afraid. There's provision, though. Did you see that with the angel of the Lord? God sends him. Can I say something about this story that was amazing to me as I thought about it? And I, there's a lot of us here, maybe we've been in church a lot of our lives, and we've, I don't know, I've, I've known this story A long time, but just meditating some some fresh things. Like I noticed is, this story is as amazing to me for what God doesn't do as for what He does do. So so much of Scripture is like, well, look what God did, man. In this story, in some ways, it's it's as awesome to see what God doesn't do, what God doesn't say, as what He does do and what He does say. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we move through the text, but that's pretty interesting to me. So there's provision. There's provision. In this case, God knew what Elijah needed in spite of what Elijah asked him. God knew what he needed. What did Elijah ask God? Kill me. God doesn't do that. Could have. Fine. God knows what Elijah needs. Even when Elijah doesn't know what to ask for. God does not answer Elijah's request to die. Have you ever been there? Man, I've been there. I've said some stupid things to God. (laughs) I'll tell you what's going on. This is what's going on, God. And you might as well just take me out of that situation. Man, God in his grace doesn't grant Elijah's wish. God sees a lot better than I do, right? He provides in ways. He provides in ways that I don't even know I have the need because it's God. Um. Matthew 6, 8, this is what Jesus says about God the Father. Your Father, listen to this. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Is that good? Christian friend, if you're here today, here's the provision of God. He knows what you need before you ask Him. I have two kids. They live far away, so miserable. Some of you share that burden with me. Your kids are far away. Some of you, your kids are right here, close for those of you who are parents. Good for you. But I can keep in touch with my kids, right? I mean, do we do we live in such a technological age, right? Like I could right now I could pick up my phone and I have an app or I could talk to my kids right now, real time. It's like they're right here. And I feel like I feel like I'm in touch with them, like I know what's going on with my kids. John Piper reflects on that, and he says this. He says, there are at least three ways that our father knows our children better than we know our children as parents. He says, for instance, we don't know where our kids are all the time. Like, I don't know where my kids are right now. I I have some good assumptions. They better be in church. But I have some good assumptions about where they are. I I can probably locate them on a phone. But really, I don't know. I don't know where they are right now exactly. Here's something else about my kids, and even if your kids are sitting right next to you in church today, you don't know what's going on in their heart. I mean, you kind of do, right? Like, I kind of know what's going on with my kids. I kind of know what their struggles are. But man, my daughter and my son right now, they may be carrying a burden in their heart that I just, I don't really know what that burden is. Maybe they don't want to share it with me. Here's something else I don't know, like the father knows perfectly. I don't know my kid's future, right? It's a scary thing to say. But I don't. I don't. Today things, as far as I know, things are good. I could get a phone call tonight. Listen, I could get a phone call tonight that could change all the circumstances of their life, right? Plunged into tragedy. I don't know their future. Your father knows what you need before you ask him man. God is a great provider he's a father who knows Elijah was afraid and ran for his life is perhaps the best description of you today running from the chaos of something desperate for margin in your life God provides God provides strength Do you see that in eight in eight and nine when we read there God provides strength Man, I don't know what he ate, but he went 40 days and 40 nights with that. Pretty amazing. God provides great strength for Elijah. Where you find your strength, friend? You know what Jesus called himself among many things? He called himself this, the bread of life. He is, Jesus is the nourishment of life. When when I read this story about about the nourishment, about the energy, the strength that Elijah gets from the provision of God, I think about Jesus, because that's what it is. The great, the great food in the story of Elijah points to the great bread of life, Jesus Christ. And he is our nourishment. And as it were, when we need to run for 40 days and 40 nights, our strength is in the bread of life. Where are you finding your strength? 2 Corinthians 12.10, the Apostle Paul writes this, For Christ's sake, I delight. It's crazy. I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. Why can Paul say that? How can he say that? Because Jesus is his strength. Christian friend, friend who is seeking, friend who is struggling here today, if you're running for your life, whatever that looks like for you. The provision of God is the strength of Jesus Christ who is the bread of life. All those years ago for Elijah, really, that's what it pointed to. And for us, we look to the cross where Jesus died for us. That is our strength. Out of the chaos, Elijah desperately needs margin, but God knows he needs more. He needs marching orders. So God meets Elijah in his need and says, you need rest you need provision, you need strength in the chaos. But he needs more, he needs marching orders. So, so notice, secondly, we're just pulling these phrases right out of the text. Basically, God says this to Elijah, stand on the mountain. So Elijah goes into a cave. Look at verse. the end of verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Notice, second time, Elijah makes this statement. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and, go out on what? Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Stand on the mountain. Jolynn and I spent probably a little more than a decade as in student ministry, various churches as a youth pastor. Man, there's a lot I don't miss about that. There's a lot I don't miss about ministry to adolescents. No offense if you're an adolescent. You'll grow out of it. Um, it's a tough, that's a tough demographic to keep up with. But man, there's a lot I miss about it. And and when, by God's grace, I have the opportunity to talk to students, I had the opportunity this fall to to FaceTime with a with a young man who was in my youth group and who lives in France now. Every time I talk to a student from my from my youth groups, they never say to me, "Matt, you know what I remember most? You know what I appreciated most? Your awesome sermons." Never say that. Man, Matt, the way you broke down the book of Revelation when I was a high school student changed my life. They don't remember one sermon. I'm waiting for that one kid. You know what they do remember? Standing on the mountain. Hey, Matt, remember that time? Remember that time we camped out on that trip doing home repair in rural Tennessee? And there was a flash flood and it washed out the campsite. Hey hey Matt, you remember, remember that evangelistic crusade we took part in in Jackson, Mississippi? Matt, you remember summer camp at Lake Erie? I do remember. Man, I miss that. You know why? Because we stood on the mountain there. Because God met them in a unique way. God met me in a unique way on those places. Our students just came home recently from Challenge, which is a a free church conference for thousands of students to gather at Kansas City. And every two years they do that, and they stand on the mountain. When was the last time you stood on the mountain? That's what God tells Elijah to do. Out of the chaos, he calls him and says, come out of that cave and stand on the mountain. What happens on the mountain? A couple things. It's a place where God wants to question you. Do you notice the text I read started with God's question and ends with God's question? Isn't that cool? God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, Elijah repeats his answer. I'm alone. It's just me. And again, it's beautiful what God doesn't say to Elijah. Instead, he meets Elijah and then ends the, ends the statement with, Elijah, what are you doing here? Listen, the mountain is the place where God wants to ask you questions. Hey, friend, if, if you were to turn over that worship program you have and write on that, answer, answer this, what questions is God asking you right now? What would that be? I think that's an interesting thought. If I, if I was to say to you, in your life, what, what do you think are some questions God is asking you right now? Is your heart even at a place sensitivity-wise where, where, you can, where you can stand on the mountain and allow God to question you? Or is it just every day into the next day like, I, church, I don't know. What? God says, come stand on the mountain where I have some questions to ask you. Here's something else. It's the place where God reveals himself to you. The mountain is where God reveals himself to you. You notice the middle part of the text there, which is probably the most popular part of the story, and if you've been reading the Bible for long, you know that story, the still, small voice that God uses. And uh, you ever want to go down a rabbit hole on the Internet? Look up that story. There's a lot of comments about what does that mean. What does it mean that God didn't meet him in the big, mighty wind? Fire, earthquake, but God meets him in the still small voice. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure. But, I think it means this. I I think there's, a lot of it is this. There's an underlying current there and it's this. God tells Elijah, Elijah, I can reveal myself to you spectacularly and I can reveal myself to you quietly. Sometimes, friend, When we stand on the mountain and God reveals himself to us, he reveals himself spectacularly. Think about chapter 18, what happened? God vaporizes an altar and snuffs out the false deity. Spectacular. Sometimes on the mountain, it's spectacular. But sometimes on the mountain, when God questions us, when God reveals himself to us, it's quiet. And man, Elijah's tired. And he's afraid. And he's on the run for his life. And there's chaos. And he's like, I'm better off dead and I'm alone. And instead of rebuke, God comes to him in a gentle, still, small voice. So friend, go stand on the mountain. Running for your life, go stand on the mountain. Allow God to question you. Allow God to reveal himself to you. Be still and know that I am God, right? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Maybe God wants to reveal himself to you quietly. The mountain may be vacation in the Rockies. (laughs) Maybe you're like, I'm going this summer and I will be on the mountain. Pike's Peak. Speak to me, Lord. The mountain might be out back cutting grass. Okay, God, I have two hours on this yard behind this mower. Instead of listening to another stupid podcast, question me. Reveal yourself to me. mountain might be, it might be a retreat with the youth group students. It might be in the locker room after practice. I don't know where your mountain is, but I know this. When it comes to God meeting us in our need, sometimes it's margins, sometimes it's marching orders. Often it begins with God saying to us, go stand on the mountain. And there I will question you. And there I will reveal myself to you quietly or spectacularly. Go stand on the mountain. From the word of God through the Spirit of God, what questions is God asking you? How is he, how is he revealing himself to you? From running for his life to standing on the mountain, Elijah meets God in the margin. Now he gets his marching orders. Here's the third thing: go back the way you came. Okay? Elijah's running for his life, God provides strength. God says to him, go stand on the mountain. God reveals himself to Elijah and says, go back the way you came. Let's pick up the text. Look at 15. 14, why not? Here's Elijah the third time. Same, we know what his problem is, right? 14, God says the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I'll tell you what I'm doing here, God, for the third time I'll tell you. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Put it on a t-shirt, Elijah. The Lord said to him, notice, what does God say to him? Go back the way you came. The text from there is basically marching orders. Maybe Maybe when it comes to margin, God is saying, God is saying, you need provision, you need strength, you need margin. Maybe, maybe, God is saying, it's time for marching orders. Maybe rest is over. God questions Elijah, He reveals himself to Elijah, and then he says, "Do the hard thing, right? How, how many of you think Elijah wanted to go back the way he came? <laughs> nope. It's a hard way. Jezebel's there. What else do we need to say? Maybe today God is saying to you, all right, listen, I gave you margin. Now I have some marching orders for you. Do the hard thing. Go back the way you came. Or don't go back the way you came. Maybe God is saying to you, go there instead. Go forward. Go to that person. Put yourself back in that circle. You know where you think you can't make a difference? Go there. Maybe that's what God is saying to you, saying to me. Go to the hard place. For Elijah, God says, go back the way you came. A couple things here it's a call to action right if you look into verse 17 and 18 basically God gives Elijah things to do God says Elijah as it were he wakes him up gently from his same question he keeps asking I'm alone and there's no one else God wakes him from that and says I have things I'm doing and you're part of the plan Christian friend maybe when God is saying to you or to me today to go back where we came from God is saying here here's Basically, he says to Elijah, here's three things I need to have happen, and you're part of it. Are you on the sidelines? Are you living in the margin today? And God is saying, listen, in your family, here's things that have to happen, and I'm calling you to action. At work, get off the sideline. Be the person who does this. Go back where you came from. How has God God questioned you, revealed himself to you, and said, here's a call to action. I have things I need you to do. God comes to Elijah in verses 17, 16, 17, and 18. It's a call to action. But wonderfully, it's a call to faith. It's a call to faith. It's a call where God says to Elijah, go back the way you came, do the hard thing because I'm the great provider. I'm your strength. It's a call to faith. It's a call to Elijah's faith because here's the thing, friend. You know what James tells us about Elijah, the book of James? You can read it in chapter five. He says this, Elijah was a man just like us. How about that? So you know what Elijah needs if he's a man just like me? He needs someone greater to help him accomplish what God wants him to accomplish. And someday, Elijah would stand on another mountain in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, we read about it, the mountain of transfiguration, and Elijah would point to a greater Elijah, Jesus Christ. And he would say, This is the one who calls us to action. This is the one who calls us to faith. Someone greater on another mountain, a better Elijah, Jesus Christ. So you're running for your life today. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is the provision and the strength and the chaos. Stand on the mountain. God wants to meet you in his word. He wants to reveal the person and the work of Jesus. What questions is God asking you? How is he revealing himself to you? What are your marching orders? What is God calling you to? Have faith in his plan through Christ and in his future for you through him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great prophet who was so faithful to call out wickedness in his own time. And yet, God, we meet him tired, running for his life, like us sometimes. And to think about how his life points to the greater provision of strength through a better Elijah, through another one who could save, your son Jesus. And I pray if there's one here today who doesn't know Christ, that, Lord, you would draw their hearts to the work of Jesus, who is our great provider, who is our strength. Lord, I pray over this crowd today, if there's one here struggling with depression, God forbid thoughts of, I can't go on. That, Lord, in the work of Jesus, his atoning death and his his promise of resurrection, that, God, they would find hope and victory. Lord, there's plenty of us who are tired, who are in the chaos. May we find the provision of strength through Jesus. We thank you for his work. We thank you that Elijah points the way so clearly to him. Lord, by the power of your spirit, work we pray in Christ's name. Amen.